Let's pray. Gracious God, we ask that you meet us now for reasons that we may not entirely understand or able to grasp. You have seen to it that we have found ourselves in this place, in this moment, that each of us in this room made a choice to come to this Ash Wednesday service, and at a service like this, there are so many reasons why we may walk through this door. Help us to trust and believe that you have seen to this, that we're here by divine appointment, that you have something you want us to hear from you, a word of grace, a word of forgiveness, a word of love, a word of humility. And so give us grace to be present to your already presence, not only in our lives, but in this room and in this moment. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think that uh, for Fred Harrell anyway, Lent in the beginning of this season and Ash Wednesday has all come in perfect timing. I need, I need this service. I need this season because the therapist that I've been seeing for 10 years retired on Monday. <laughs> I saw him for the last time. And I've been sad all week. He holds my story. All of it. There is no stone unturned with Gordon Preston. Torelli holds all my story. After that, there are no humans that need to, nor probably want, <laughs> to hold all my story. And the power of this and the tears that came to me on Monday at 11.30, which will now be forever different for me, because it was every Monday at 11.30. The power that hit me when I sat down in his chair, not thinking I would cry when I sat down with him for the last time, but because there was a person who came out of his office right before I did, bawling, there was no chance for me. <laughs> and the power that I was experiencing, one of the most powerful things in the world, is to be fully known and fully loved. If you want to explain, if somebody says to you, what, what do you Christians mean when you say the gospel? You might just stick with that. It means to be fully known and fully loved by God. So he knows me. He loves me. Nobody else knows me and loves me like Gordon Preston and Torelli Harrell except God. Because God holds my story, and what I want you tonight to know is that God holds your story, which can give you the courage to really be honest and authentic and come up here and, of all things, have ashes placed on your forehead in the sign of the cross 
to acknowledge your mortality, but not without hope. That's the part where the cross comes in. So in a service like this, we speak the truth about our story, the messy parts in particular. And the messiest part of all, in some ways, that we're going to die. Rachel Held Evans, on Ash Wednesday of 2019, only a few months before her tragic death, wrote this. Ash Wednesday teaches something that nearly everyone can agree on. Whether you're part of a church or not, whether you believe today or you doubt, whether you're a Christian or an atheist or an agnostic or a so-called none of the above whose face experiences far transcends the limits of that label, you know this truth deep in your bones. It's the truth you're going to hear in a little bit. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Death is a part of life. Richard Rohr writes about the five promises of male initiation. And while the book specifically investigates male spirituality, Rohr's message speaks across the board. He gives five promises or life messages that we should embrace so as to have a deep spirituality that connects us with God and the world around us. And here are the five messages. One, life is hard. I want you to think about your journey right now. Some of these you're like, yeah, I'm starting to really acknowledge that one <laughs> in, in ways that I didn't realize I would have to or be expected to in my life. Life is, not, life is hard. Two, you're not important. Three, your life is not about you. Four, you were not in control. And five, you were going to die. Aren't you glad you came to Ash Wednesday at City Church? <laughs> and regarding that last life message, the church for centuries has sought to remind us about this truth in this redemptive way. With the beginning of Lent, with Ash Wednesday, and then creating kind of an annual formation rhythm to lead us in recognizing the fragility and limitations of our humanity. So I want us to think about three things very quickly. First of all, ashes. You're going to have ashes applied to your forehead in just a moment. And either an elder or a pastor in our church will be three on either side and making the sign of the cross on your forehead saying, remember you were dust and to dust you shall return. Ashes are obviously a reminder of our mortality, but they're another way of saying of a reminder of our humanness. A reminder, this is so important, a reminder of our limitations, a reminder of our finitude. And I would say that's a reminder of our common humanity, our commonness. And as I was thinking about this today, maybe this is the most important thing of all, the commonness part, that we are all, all white, black, Brown, gay, straight, cis, gender nonconforming, trans, rich, poor, married, single. We are all going to die. Remember you were dust, and to dust you shall return. It's not just an existential claim, but also an ethical one. 
Because the inverse of that claim, making the finite infinite, is the basis of all supremacies and oppressions, whether it be white, male, hetero, etc. When we all together remember we are going to die, we have a chance to ironically actually regain our humanity and not lose it. Ash Wednesday is about confessing to each other and to God that we are weak and that we are going to die one day. And this confession is almost the prerequisite, biblically speaking, of living wisely and redemptively in the world. The psalmist says in Psalm 90, verse 12, So teach us to count our days that we may gain a wise heart. Such an interesting thing to think about. Teach us to count our days. The counting of our days, the recognition of our mortality, the recognition that, yes, I am getting older. I didn't think I'd ever be 57, but here I am. And you will be too, God willing. And it was just yesterday that I was 37. And the day before that, that I was 27. And it's in the counting of our days that we value each day. Right? As the precious gift that it is. And to boil down life to seeing that it is a gift and that the point is to love. It makes us wise. If I'm going to take, if I'm going to die, I must take my my limitations seriously. And maybe that is an invitation. Chuck DeGroote, who was here from 2008 to 13 and started our counseling center, so some of you will know that name and some of you won't, wrote in a blog post a few years back, it's easy to turn Ash Wednesday into a day when yet again we grovel in our sin. Instead, what about becoming astounded by our beautifully limited human humanness and perhaps repenting of our need to be superhuman? Because it was Jesus in his own wilderness who rejected Satan's temptation to become superhuman, paving the pathway to our full humanity. What if we are enough as God created us? Because God dwells in us more deeply, to quote Augustine, not Augustine. St. Augustine is in Florida. St. Augustine is in heaven, just so you know. Well, preacher humor, just to throw that in a little in the midst of this. God dwells in us more deeply than we dwell in ourselves. What if the journey is not about becoming more spiritual, but about become, becoming more fully human? You don't have to be superhuman. You can be you. A jar of clay surrendered to be made beautiful. And Chuck says this because Chuck knows that death isn't the final word, that God has something and done something. And that's the second idea is cross. Ashes, then cross, because that's how they're going to be made on your forehead. And here's where I'm supposed to say, take heart. The sign of the ashes is a cross. But for some of you, for many people that I talk to, that is not exactly consoling. It's not even a reminder of beauty. For some of you in here, it might be a reminder 
of some kind of God who feels like they have to kill their son in order for us to be acceptable to God. Hmm? I hear this all the time. Historically, Christians have seen the cross as A, defeating the works of the devil, as the Apostle John says in 1 John 3, and of evil in general, dealing a death blow to death, and that God was in Jesus reconciling all of creation back to himself mysteriously on the cross. As Colossians 1.20 says, Through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Yet somehow, somehow, a beautiful picture of defeating evil and reconciling creation got turned into this idea that God is so angry that he must have his anger satisfied by killing an innocent person. Is it possible? Is it possible? We have missed the beauty of the cross. And I would be as bold to say, turn God into a monster in the process. May I suggest a different vision of the cross? You know, in 1499, Michelangelo completed his sculpture of the Pieta. Am I saying that right? Pieta? Pieta? Help me. Pieta. Thank you very much, Doug. I'm from Polk County, Florida. Didn't have that kind of an education. It's a masterpiece, obviously, a marble sculpture in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, depicting the body of Jesus in the lap of his mother after the crucifixion. And it's considered a masterpiece that captures the Renaissance ideals of classical beauty, balanced with naturalism. And if you may have remembered this a long time ago, 1972, someone came in and attacked it with a sledgehammer, raining 15 blows upon it while shouting, No more masterpieces! And before the man could be restrained, he was able to inflict substantial damage. And the world was shocked and horrified that this irreplaceable masterpiece had lost, been lost to a senseless act of vandalism. But the restoration artists were convinced that it could be saved, and within a year, it had been restored to its original beauty. Jesus is a restoration artist. He comes to restore beauty to a humanity that has been vandalized by our sin and the sins committed against us, that has attacked our humanity, shouting, no more masterpieces. And on the cross, Jesus took the ugliness of sin into his own body and turned it into the beauty of salvation. And the miracle is testified to by the very image of the cross itself. Originally, the cross was a hideous spectacle that caused people to turn away in revulsion and horror. But now the cross has become an image of beauty, depicted as a work of art in countless ways. Jesus transforms the cross from ugliness to beauty. And this is precisely what Jesus wants to do with humanity. Turn ugliness into beauty. That's the beauty of the cross. Why it's a symbol of hope, even as we remember we are dust, and to dust we shall return. Lastly, so ashes and journey, excuse me, ashes and cross, and lastly, journey, because that's what we're about to embark on. That's what this church is inviting you into, a journey, to commit to the journey. 
And yes, there will be fasting involved. Some of you right now, you're trying to figure out, you know, what I want to, quote, give up for Lent, right? What does that mean to, to fast, the voluntary denial of something for a period of time for a spiritual purpose, a restriction that creates space for God? that makes room. What is in the way right now in your life of making room for your life to be more prayerful? Think about your life right now. No matter what you believe, where you may be in the process, it's okay. We all, we all pray in one way or another. What? Maybe it's just silence and solitude. What, what needs to be taken away from your life? What needs to be rearranged to make room for a life that would be called a prayerful life. What if this Lent you chose not to give up chocolate or Facebook, although that is fine to give up those things, especially Facebook, but chose to give, us, give up blindly? And here's the thing. What if you chose to give up blindly sleepwalking through life? Blindly sleepwalking through life. What if you did the opposite of what just happened to me and got a therapist to understand yourself, that you might wake up to yourself so that you don't have to continue to be exhausted by trying to be this false self that you think you need to be in order to be rewarded and loved. Aren't you tired? We think of fasting as something that would make us more tired. Maybe it's the very thing we need to give us new life and energy. What if it meant entering into a hard conversation with great intentionality? What if it means reading a book that will challenge your perspective? creating space for 20 minutes of contemplative prayer in the morning and evening, praying for someone who disgusts you. There's an easy Lent and a costly Lent. For some, Lent has become God's yearly weight loss or sobriety program. Let's admit it. Come on. Admit it. You look at yourself, you think, you know, Ash Wednesday, I'm giving up sugar. Not necessarily to make more space, but I don't like what I see each morning on the scale. For some, it's the I spend too much time on social media guilt appeasement program. But Lent invites us into a hard conversation with ourselves. And so our own choice will not mirror another person's choice because ours is deeply personal. Might be a good practice as Lent not to ask another person what they're giving up for Lent. Why don't we do that? Let's make that a group norm at City Church. We just don't ask. It might give us more courage to choose something more courageous. Because it is personal. It's a personal act of repentance, which means not just turning away, but turning toward what may be much harder. Turning toward uncertainty, toward a hard conversation, toward a spouse who has become a stranger toward a forgotten person, toward a need you've rejected, toward an old gift that you have had that you've lost in the busyness of life, toward 
being known and loved toward Jesus and away from a more convenient understanding of God. What do you need to turn toward? Who do you need to turn toward? So ashes, cross, an invitation to a journey. I said, this is what I want us to do. I want us to listen to this poem. I'm going to read it twice. I want you to find yourself in it. As we sit together in silence, you may want to put your feet firmly on the floor. You may want to just take a good deep breath. As we begin the Lenten journey, this is going to take courage if you're going to do it well. Listen to yourself breathe. Maybe this is the beginning of you, first time in a long time, listening to yourself actually breathe. You may want to close your eyes. You don't have to. Blessing the Dust by Jan Richardson. All those days you felt like dust, like dirt, as if all you had to do was turn your face toward the wind and be scattered to the four corners or swept away by the smallest breath as insubstantial. Did you not know what the Holy One can do with dust? This is the day we freely say we are scorched. This is the hour we are marked by what has made it through the burning. This is the moment we ask for the blessing that lives within the ancient ashes that make its home inside the soil of this sacred earth. So let us be marked not for sorrow, and let us be marked not for shame. Let us be marked not for false humility or for thinking we are less than we are, but for claiming what God can do within the dust, within the dirt, within the stuff of which the world is made and the stars that blaze in our bones and the galaxies that spiral inside the smudge we bear. All those days you felt like dust, like dirt, as if all you had to do was turn your face toward the wind and be scattered to the four corners, or swept away by the smallest breath as insubstantial. Did you not know what the Holy One can do with dust? This is the day we freely say we are scorched this is the hour we are marked by what has made it through the burning. This is the moment we ask for the blessing that lives within the ancient ashes, that makes its home inside the soil of this sacred earth. 
So let us be marked not for sorrow, and let us be marked not for shame. Let us be marked not for false humility or for thinking we are less than we are, but for claiming what God can do within the dust, within the dirt, within the stuff of which the world is made and the stars that blaze in our bones and the galaxies that spiral inside the smudge we bear. God of grace, mercy, and love, you invite us to be honest with you. You invite us to trust that you are the safest person. You are the safest reality for us to bring all of ourselves. Help us to remember that cross tonight that it might embolden us to believe that you love us deeply, that you sympathize with all of our weaknesses, that you don't explain our pain, but you do share our pain. And promise to never run from us but always toward us. Give us grace tonight to believe this, we pray. And give us a holy Lent. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.